Hey, you want some advice? Your inbox is way more important than what you're reading there. It can wait. You've got more important things to do. <laughs> We are starting a brand new series this morning entitled Bad Advice, Bad Advice. And I know what you're thinking. As I said it last week, why would I go to church for bad advice? Um, the truth is we all have people that speak into our lives. Uh, we have other spiritual influences speaking into our lives daily. And sometimes those voices give us bad advice. And so what we want to do over the next few weeks is talk about how we can live in a way different than the bad advice we've been given or are being currently given. And so what I mean to say is that sometimes we say we're not really taking that bad advice, but are our lives showing, in actuality, we are living out this bad advice that we've been given. And so we're going to walk through this for the next few weeks. Um, I really want to encourage you to be a part of the series. Um, next week, we're going to talk about um, how to become an addict how to become an addict, and so we're going to talk through that. Um, and this morning, to get us thinking about this morning's message, I want to ask a question to kind of get our minds and our, our hearts in the right direction here, and you don't need to raise your hand, uh, and in fact, you probably don't want to raise your hand, but I want you to think through this and answer it honestly for yourself. Is there a time in your life, in the past, where you would honestly say that you were closer to God at some point in the past more than you are currently. And so think about that just for a second. Okay, let that marinate down there. Uh, and I want to kind of unpack this a little bit. I want to ask, what does that look like? What do we, how do we even gauge that? Some of us might know instantly, yes. Some might say no. Some might say, well, I don't really know the answer to that question. Here's a way that you can look at it. Maybe you would say that you used to be fired up to come to church. You used to be so excited to come to church, so excited you couldn't wait to get into the worship. You couldn't wait to sing with the church, sing with the, the music, the band, and to do all of that. You were so pumped to come to church. You were so excited to sit in the message and hear, okay, God, what are you going to speak to me about today? I mean, it was just, you almost couldn't even wait to get to church because you wanted to know, God, how are you going to challenge me today? How are you going to encourage me today? How are you going to share your word with me today in a new way? Maybe you're like some people and you were so fired up that you couldn't even wait till you got to church, that you were in the Word of God first thing. You just had to get into the Word and you were already praying. Maybe some of you were so excited to just get into the Bible during the day, during a normal day, not a church day, a normal day, like a Monday. You were just like, you know what, I need to get back into the Word of God. I just love being in the Word of God. Maybe you were a person that loved bringing people to church. Because you honestly believed that if you could just get them to this place where they could hear the word of God preached, not that the building is super special, not that there's magic in the drywall, okay? Not that there's no more, more God in this building than God in some other place because we are the temple, right? He goes with us where we go. But you knew if I could just get them separated from their influences, away from those negative voices, and put them in a place where they're going to hear the word of God preached and be surrounded by other believers, I truly believe that their lives could be changed. Maybe that was you at some point in your life. But over time, as happens to all of us, life happened. And sometimes when life happens, it happens suddenly, but yet quickly. You know what I'm talking about? 
It's almost little changes here, little changes there, little changes here. And all of a sudden you realize, man, life has kind of just happened. I'm so busy. I'm so consumed with all these things. And all of a sudden your passion cooled into normal Christianity. You're not as passionate for Christ as you used to be. All of a sudden now you're just kind of a normal, everyday Christian. Now you would say, yes, there was a time in my life that I was closer to God than I am now. That I used to be so passionate about the things of Christ and so passionate about the things of God and I couldn't wait to just tell someone about Jesus. But now, I'm just kind of, just kind of existing. I mean, you're still a Christian, you still love God, you still love his word, but your passion, that's the thing, it's kind of cooled a little bit. And all of a sudden you look like every other normal Christian. And those Christians that are really on fire for God, you look at them and say, oh man, I remember when I was like that. You know, there's even this, this mindset among Christians that almost have this cynical view that when you see a passionate Christian, you almost say things like, well, let reality sink in. Just wait till they're in the world a little bit longer and we'll see how passionate they are for Christ. That'll fade. There's nothing more encouraging from a mature Christian, or I mean mature as an older, an older Christian, to tell a younger Christian that their passion will fade. That's great encouragement, isn't it? I remember I was sitting in the truck one time and with someone, and, and uh, there was two guys in this truck, and I was on the phone with Sandra, and we were just married, maybe not even a year. And right before I hung up, I told her I loved her. I said, you know, I love you, and she said, I love you too. And, you know, we weren't like, none of that kind of stuff, okay? Because that just makes my stomach get upset, you know, it's curdling, okay? Like, please. Okay, and if you're that kind of couple, hey, that's cool, do your thing, but we don't want to see that, okay? So, like, just keep that stuff private, right? But I said that, I hung up the phone, and the guy driving the truck had been married for a fair amount of time. And he looked at the other guy in the truck who was married a little bit longer than I was and said, listen to this. We love you. This is what he said. That'll change. Now, he wasn't saying I wouldn't love her anymore. What he was saying is what? I'm not going to take this time to say it every single phone call. That's silly. Now, do we say it every single phone call? No, probably not. Okay? But the mindset was like, oh, that'll fade. Oh, you'll grow out of that. Oh, life will happen and you'll, your passion will cool. And this is what happens in our walk with Christ. Many of you have heard this story before, this illustration, but I love it. It kind of puts into a simple picture what we're talking about this morning. I heard the story, and I'm sure there's a country song about it because there's a country song about everything, I'm sure. I don't know practically because I don't listen to it because I have good standards in music. But anyway, that's just me. That's just me, Okay. Just kidding. Um, some of you are like, that's it. I'm offended. I'm leaving the church. Um, I heard the story about a husband and wife when they were first married, and they, they rode in the truck together. And, and whenever they would be driving somewhere, the husband would be driving, and the wife would just cuddle up next to her husband in the, in the, the front of the truck. And he'd put his arm around her, and she'd just, you know, and it was real cute and all that. Well, about 20 years pass. And now the, the husband still drives the truck, but the wife's sitting on the passenger side. She no longer scoots over and, and cuddles up next to him. And they were driving somewhere one day, and she just looked at her husband and started breaking down in tears and just crying and said, what happened to us? You used to put your arm around me when we'd ride in the truck, and we were so close, and we had this beautiful time together. What happened to our marriage? And the husband smirked ever so slightly and just looked at her and said, well, honey, I didn't move. 
I'm not the one who moved. Now, that's, I always love doing, you can hear it setting in as it goes across the room. But can we suggest something to you this morning? Can I suggest something to you this morning? That if, if you feel that you've drifted in your walk with Christ, just maybe God isn't the one that moved. Maybe we're the ones that scooted away. Maybe we're the ones that drifted from him, not so much him drifting for us. When we were in California this last summer, Sandra and I had the chance to go to California and work with a youth camp there. And when we were there, we had a chance to go to the ocean, which was a cool experience. And as we're at the beach and these, uh, this ocean experience, and I, I've been to the ocean before in Florida, but I never saw waves like this before uh, when I was to the ocean where I was before. Um, and so we go to the beach there in Southern California, and, and there's two things I learned about the ocean really quick. Two things that became very quick lessons that I had to learn quickly. One, the waves are always bigger than you think they are. Because I'm on the beach, and I'm looking at these waves, and I'm like, those aren't very big at all. And so I go down in the water, and we're kind of wading around, and the water was about this high, and I'm kind of hanging out with the teens and stuff, and all of a sudden, one of those waves come in. And I can feel my body kind of do one of these. I'm like, what's going on here? And all of a sudden, no joke, my body gets like, pulled backward from the force of the wave. And I look back, and they're all moving. I'm like, where's everyone going? Why are they moving to the beach? This wave got massive. And from here to way over my head, back to here, just that quick. One wave. And I was close to the shore. I couldn't believe it. So one thing I learned was the waves in the ocean are bigger than you think. So if you go to the ocean, jot that down. Important life lesson. The other thing I realized about the ocean was that we were in one section of the beach, and we were kind of at this, like, little uh, area on the beach where we had, like, you know, games and um, some food set up and stuff like that. And so every now and then I would look over and make sure I'm still kind of in line. And I start hanging out with the teens and, you know, being stupid and stuff. We're just messing around. And all of a sudden I look up, and I am, like, not where I think I'm supposed to be. And I, I kind of freak out for something. I'm like, where is everybody else? They're clear back over here. You see, little by little, because I wasn't really paying attention, little by little, guess what happened? I kind of drifted down the beach and didn't even realize it. And I think for most of us in our Christian walk, we would identify that, yes, it's not God who moved, it's me who moved, but I didn't even realize how far I drifted. It didn't even click in my mind. It was almost as though I just looked up and realized, how did I get this far away? And so let me ask you again, just to think about for yourself, and I can be honest with myself and say there are times in my life where I have to raise my hand and say, yes, there are days when I don't feel very close to him. There are days when I honestly know that I used to be closer to him than I am now. And so maybe you, in your mind, would kind of raise that mental hand and say, you know what, that's me today. I have drifted. I have drifted from where the Lord would have me to be. I didn't even realize it. There's a verse I want to go to to start us off down this kind of understanding. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. And uh, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. Uh, we're going to read just really one verse to kind of get us started on the message today and get our minds continuing down this idea of, of really the title of the message, How to Drift from God. And so in just a little bit here, I'm going to give you guys some bad advice on how to drift from God. It's going to be wonderful. So verse one of chapter two. Hebrews two and verse one says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Another translation translates it this way. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. 
I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer and just honestly ask God, God, if I've drifted, if I really believe I've drifted, I know you didn't move, I moved. And so would you convict me of that first and foremost? But would you also show me how I can get back to where I need to be for you? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and your grace in our lives. And we pray, Father, that as all of us are tempted to do, some of us are there now, some of us have been there in the recent past, and some of us, Lord, if we're not guarded, will be there soon. I pray that our passions would never cool for you. Lord, no matter how much life happens, there is one constant, one passion that every single follower of Christ, there's no excuse when someone says, well, yeah, you're more passionate for Jesus because if we know Christ, we're all equally supposed to be striving to grow deeper in our passion for Christ. And so if we've drifted in any way, Father, I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, show us that first and foremost and draw us back to where we can be. Father, not in a works mentality, but understand that by your grace, no matter how far we've drifted, that there is hope, that there is restoration. So Father, as we walk this out this morning, I pray that you would lead, guide, and direct. And may we give careful heed to what we hear this morning, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, uh, the format of the message is going to be a little bit different this morning, so I hope you can kind of bear with me. And uh, I hope that you take away from this what our, my prayer is that you'll walk out of here with, because I do, I want to give you some bad advice this morning. All right? I know that's kind of weird, and uh, I'm going to give you some bad advice, and I want you to think through these things. Because honestly, if you're pumped for the Lord, if you're just so excited for the Lord, you have so much joy when you wake up, you feel excited just to breathe another breath in God's presence. You feel so close to him. You feel his presence in your prayer time, and he's actually answering your prayers. Isn't that crazy? You're drawing close to him, and you're praying, and he's answering your prayers, and he's showing you his will, and, and just amazing ways that God is in talking to you and encouraging you and strengthening you and leading you. Then I want to show you how you can drift from God today. Because if that's you, I want to let you know it's possible, it's achievable, you can drift from God today. You don't have to be stuck in this presence of God mode. You don't have to have God answering your prayers. You can just live your life and have as much fun as you want to have in drifting from God. It's possible today. You can do this. So how do we drift from God? I want to give you just a couple things to drift from God this morning. First and foremost, the number one way you can drift from God, if you're taking notes and you're going to want to take notes on this, is neglect your time with God. Man, I'm telling you, if you want to drift from God like never before, the key to drifting from God is do all you can do to ignore God in your life. Ignore his voice. Ignore his word. Ignore other believers. And in fact, when you come to church like you are right now, pay no attention to what I'm saying. Pay no attention. Don't give any heed to what's being said right now. Play on your phone. Play on, if you want to drift from God, man, play on your phone. In church, get on Facebook. Check the sports. Check this. Check that. Do whatever you can to ignore his voice. And I'm guaranteeing you, you will begin to drift from God. And in fact, let's do one better. Go to church less. I mean, I'm serious. you want to drift from God, I'm telling you, this is going to help. Go to church less. 
Be like most of your neighbors who are Christians, American Christians. They go to church like once a month. And you really want to drift from God. Be like them. Stop coming to church so much. Don't come to church any other time than Sunday morning. Because if you do, you might accidentally grow in your faith. And you don't want that. If you want to drift from God, I'm telling you, take the advice. Stop paying attention to God's voice. And I can guarantee you that if you will ignore him in these ways, in no time, you will drift from God. And this is good stuff. Nobody's amen in this or nothing. This is good stuff. This is some good, bad advice. Listen, you want to drift from God this week, stop listening to him. Ignore his voice altogether. Ignore church. Ignore the believers. Justify your lack of church involvement by saying things like this. I'm busy. These are good things to say. I'm too busy for church. I just don't have time. It's not really my thing. I would go, but they don't have anything that I like there. Man, it's it's awesome to come up with more and more excuses. And I'm telling you, in no time, you'll have more excuses, you'll listen to his voice less, and you'll drift from God quickly. You want to drift from God, neglect your time with God. Number two, and I got to go quick here because I know it's just a lot of good stuff here. Number two, if you really want to drift from God, hang around the wrong people. This is a good one right here. This will, this will jump you leaps and bounds ahead in your drifting from God. This is huge in drifting from God. Why? Because it is impossible to live a godly life when you have the wrong friends. It is impossible to live a godly life when you have the wrong friends. Now, so what you want to do is pick wrong friends. That's what you want to do. Find as many friends as you can that mock the things of God. Encourage you to listen to and watch the wrong things, inappropriate things. Man, those are the friends that you want around you when you want to drift from God. If, if you really want to be outside the will of God for your life, pick, pick friends that want nothing to do with God. Not because you want to share your faith with them, no, but because you want to be around people worse than you so you feel better about yourself at the end of the day. And that's key in drifting from God. See, when you spend time around Christians, what ends up happening is you sin and feel guilty for it because their lifestyles convict you. Who wants that? No, 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 no. Don't surround yourself with Christian friends. Pick really bad friends. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. This is wonderful. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Man, did you catch that? He says, if you want to drift from God, don't spend time with other believers who might actually encourage you in the things of God. Pray for you. Now, who wants that? (laughs) Don't spend time around those people. No, no. If you want bad habits and bad decisions and bad outcomes, then surround yourself with people who make bad decisions and will encourage you to do the same. And you will find, according to the word of God, that you will have your good character corrupted by the bad company. Even better in picking friends Spend time around cultural Christians. You know what cultural Christians are? Cultural Christians are people who say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church occasionally. Yeah, I know God. Oh, yeah, I prayed a prayer when I was a kid. I don't really know him. I don't really have a a desire for him. You know, whatever. I just kind of live my life how I want. But I go to church a couple times a year, so I'm a Christian. A cultural Christian is what we call an atheistic Christian or a Christian atheist. It's somebody who says, I believe in God, but doesn't really know God. It says, I believe in Christ, but doesn't really know him. But they just know him in the sense of very surface things. They've never had an actual moment of conversion in their life. They've never truly trusted Christ as the Lord and personal Savior. But culturally, they look fine. Sometimes that's good to surround yourself with some of those kind of friends when you want to drift from God. Because as you're drifting from God, you look like everything's fine. 
And I'm telling you, in no time, you'll have the church confused and, and, and believing that you're a good Christian. you have your family confused, and you'll look the part, but you can do whatever you want because you're actually drifting from God. So, so real quick, if you want to drift from God, ignore his presence in your life, okay? Ignore his presence in your life. Number two, hang around the wrong people. But number three, and really a great way to drift from God, is to give into temptation. To give into temptation. Like every single time, give in to temptation. Never resist temptation. Go in over and over and over again. I mean, if we're being honest, sin is fun, right? Okay, if nobody says right to that, you're either lying to yourself, okay, or you're not doing it right. One of the two. I don't know. One of those two things is going on here. Sin is fun. I mean, we can be honest about this. Sin is fun. So you know what you should do if you want to drift from God? Man, when you understand that sin is pleasurable for a season, just keep going back to it. Even though you know it's going to end soon and there's going to be consequences and, and struggles and you're probably going to destroy your family and your relationships and your job and all those things. But who cares about that? You just have as much fun as possible. You do what you want to do. And I'm guaranteeing you, when you give in to temptation every single time, you will drift from God in no time. And, and man, you're going to have as much fun as possible for a season. But who cares about that? I mean, it's a season, sure, but you know what? It's about you. I mean, really, it's what you want to do. James chapter 1, 14 through 15 tells us this, that we are dragged away by our flesh and evil desires. I mean, doesn't that sound enjoyable? And don't you want to experience that kind of a relationship with, with your sin nature where it drags you away? and imprisons you in these sins. Man, that sounds like so much fun. It goes on to say that when we are enticed, we sin. After we sin, we keep on sinning. And then ultimately, we suffer what's called spiritual death. I mean, isn't that the goal, right? Like, isn't that what we want is spiritual death? Who wants to live the abundant life? Whatever. There's death possible. I mean, that's really what we want, right? We want to drift from God and experience spiritual death. Ultimately, if you have to bring God into the equation at all, if you, if you want to make it spiritual, I guess, here's what you got to do. Just go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. But keep doing your sin. No, this is good stuff. Tell God you're sorry, and then just keep sinning, and keep sinning, and keep sinning. And then go tell God you're sorry, because what will happen is you'll actually appease your flesh. You'll feel good because you're sinning. But then you'll feel somewhat spiritual because, well, I said sorry to God, so we're good. I mean, God understands, right? Like, God knows my heart. It's all good. The best way to drift in sin is to rationalize your sin. Man, when somebody calls you out on your sin, you come up with every excuse under the sun of why you should be sinning. Just rationalize it. And you'll leave them baffled and confused and they won't know what to say. So you just rationalize your sin. And then hide your sin. I mean, listen, if you really want to drift from God, keep that sin as quiet and clo closet and just private as, as you can. Never, ever, ever seek for help from someone else to actually have victory over your sin. Never do that because then what will happen is you'll grow closer to God. And we don't want that. You want to drift from God. So you rationalize your sin. You hide your sin. And when somebody says, hey, you sin that way, you use this line. This is the line. You ready? Hey, Jesus said, don't judge me. Just throw that out there. Just put it in your holster. Have it locked, ready to go. Soon as another Christian dares to challenge that you're not walking with Christ as you should and comes to you graciously and humbly wanting to see you restored in your faith, you just whip that baby out. Whoop! Hey! Don't judge me. Jesus said that. And they'll go, oh, Jesus did say that. 
And they'll leave. And you can keep drifting from God. And you'll feel spiritual in their outcome. It's amazing. It's crazy how this works. So we want to drift from God. We ignore his presence in our lives. We just don't even listen to him. When you come to church, complain about everything. Seriously. The chairs are too soft. The chairs are too hard. It's too hot. It's too cold. They're mean. They're too nice. Just everything. The music's too loud. The music's too quiet. I don't like the drums. I love the drums. Too much piano. Right? This is what we do. And I'm telling you, just keep doing that. So the whole time you're in church, you'll leave, and God will never have a chance to speak to you because you filled up the whole time with your complaining. And man, you'll be farther down the road of drifting from God. Just complain about everything. Ignore his presence in your life. Then, secondly, hang out with the wrong people. That's what I really want to encourage. Number three, give into temptation every single time. Never resist it. I mean, what's the big deal, right? Who are you hurting anyway? It's your choice. Right? I can do what I want. Who's, who's the judge of me? You're not one that can judge me. So you're just giving the temptation all the time. Last one. Or one of the last ones. I love this one. Love this world more than you love God. Love this world more than you love God. You really want to drift from God? Sell out for materialism and stuff. Just go into as much debt as possible in this world. Now, this is key, because if you go into as much debt as possible, you'll actually have financial bondage on top of your materialism. So it's like a double winner. It's like a double whammy. You get both of those things in one. So you want to give into the world and just get as much stuff as you can. Let your earthly desires lead you into envy and greed and lust and want, 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 and want some more. Whatever you do, Never be thankful for anything that God has already given you. If you want to drift from God, then love the present world more than you love God. Just love the stuff. Man, and when you get some stuff, get some more stuff. And just keep amassing stuff. And when somebody says, oh, you should be generous, just be like, this is my stuff. I worked hard for this. I've earned this stuff. Why do they need it? They don't, they don't need this. They need to get a job. They need to get their own stuff. This is my stuff. Just be as greedy as possible. And in no time, along with the wrong friends and ignoring his presence and giving into temptation, man, you'll see yourself drifting from God in no time. And you'll have a lot of stuff in the process. I mean, until the repo people come and take your car because you can't pay your bills. But in the meantime, in the meantime, you'll have the best car on the block until they take it. But then it's cool because you can get another one. It's just great. Just, you know, take care of that stuff at the backside of it. I mean, just, just go into as much debt as possible. But finally, one last thing on how to drift from God. And this is... This is the winner right here. If you've not taken any notes, you need to write this down. If all else fails, if nothing else works, and you're trying to drift from God, and it's just not working, you're just finding yourself going back to his presence and going back to his spirit, and you really want to drift from him, just fake it. That's it. Just fake it. Just, just fake it as much as you have to. Don't, you don't have to be incredibly immoral to drift from God. No, just act like everything is fine. Come to church and shake some hands and smile and say, Oh, brother, God bless you. You know, it's really easy to fake it, by the way. Here, I'll give you some winners. You ready? Write these down. If you want to fake it and you need some vernacular, you need some things to say so people think that you're spiritual, here's what you say. Things like this. When they say, Hey, brother, how are you doing today? Oh, brother. You got to add the O's. That just it's more spiritual that way. Man, I am, I am blessed, brother. I am blessed. Just leave it there. Don't ever tell them what you're blessed with because you don't really know because it's all your stuff and you've never thanked God for anything. So it's, what's this blessing stuff? But just say you're blessed. And they'll go, that's a spiritual guy right there. 
And when they ask you things like this, like, hey, what are you learning in the Word of God today? How's God speaking to you? You have no idea because you've ignored his voice for so long. You've grown apathetic. But here's what you do. You say something like this. You say, man, you know, God is so good. I couldn't put it all into one sentence. I couldn't put into one sentence all that he's showing me. You've actually said nothing, but it sounds like you're saying a lot. And they'll walk away going, man, that guy's in the Bible all the time. You want a favorite verse? John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. What's your favorite verse, brother? Oh, man, the heart of Jesus, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Whew. That's good stuff. But here's the key. You have to leave the conversation really quickly. Like throw out your one-liner and be like, I got to go, guys. I got to go. Because if you hang around, they'll ask you more questions, and you won't have enough one-liners, and then they'll figure out they're on to you. So if you want to drift from God, just fake it. Just pretend everything is okay. Know the right things to say at church at the right time. Know the right ways to act. Know the right ways to, to go to the scriptures. Okay? And if you don't know where something is in the Bible, okay, look at someone's Bible next to you and gauge the gap here and the gap here. Because listen, we're in Hebrews right now. I could easily be in Romans, and visually it looks about the same. And just hold your, mm, the word of God close to my heart. Nobody will know you're not even in the right text. Fake it. Just fake it, man. It's all show anyway. Just do what you got to do to be as visually Christian as possible. And I'm telling you, if you will ignore the voice of God in your life, hang around the wrong people, give in to temptation every single time, uh, just love this world more than you love God, or fake it if nothing else works, in no time you will drift from God. And, and you'll find yourself farther from God than you'll ever imagine you could be. Now, let me say this. That was an extremely long time to be sarcastic, even for me. <laughs> that was tough. And I, man, I like to think I'm pretty sarcastic, but that was a long time. But I hope you understand why I did it that way. I hope you understand why I wanted to present it that way. That, and I do hope you understand, because someone's going to get this recording and be like, man, did you hear what North Goodland's preaching? <laughs> Pastor John's lost his mind. They talk about us anyway. Might as well say something else. Anyway, now here's seriously what I want you to think about. I wanted to do that because I want you to think about how silly it really sounds. Like how ridiculous is what I just said. But here's the crazy part. Although, yes, I was being sarcastic. I don't want any of you to do any of those things I just said. Here's the crazy part. We all have done it, are doing it, or will do it. And we'll say things like, well, man, I don't know. I just, you know, it's just, I don't know that I can be that kind of Christian. And we'll just justify and we'll rationalize and we'll ignore his voice and we'll hang with the wrong crowd. And then when we're called on it, we'll judge them for judging us, although they're doing the biblical thing by trying to help us. But we'll be defensive because we're under conviction. And we do this kind of stuff often. And here's the reason that I wanted to bring this up this way this morning because I know my heart. And I'm not preaching this just to you. I'm preaching this to me as well because I am tempted weekly, sometimes daily, as we all are. But specifically to me, I am tempted to be a full-time pastor but a part-time follower of Christ. And do you know how easy it would be for me to come up here and just fool every one of you? And I am tempted daily to be a full-time pastor, but a part-time follower of Christ. 
And here's why I say I preach that to me, but I'm preaching it to you as well. Because everyone in this room is tempted to be a full-time parent, but a part-time follower of Christ. To be a full-time teacher, but be a part-time follower of Christ. To be a full-time, and I'm not picking on him, but he's the only one I know in the church, lawyer. Okay? It is possible to be a Christian lawyer. I found that out. Okay? When I met Shane, I was like, what? No way. Christian lawyer? Isn't that like an oxymoron? Um, How's that work? Kidding. Kidding. I know one. We're good. No, but. But aren't, you guys get where I'm going with this? Man, we're so tempted to be a full-time whatever. And somehow we're a part-time follower of Christ. When in reality, whatever you do for a living, including being a parent, being a husband, being a wife, being a grandparent, being a construction worker, a lawyer, a teacher, a nurse, whatever, that's your part-time role. That's what you do after your primary job, which is follower of Christ. But we do this a lot. We compartmentalize Jesus to Sundays and, uh, well, occasionally Wednesdays if we feel real spiritual. Sunday nights if we feel like we've got nothing going on. Uh, Monday, I don't, I'm kind of too busy to read my Bible today, so I'll get to Jesus tomorrow. And we kind of just push him all over the calendar because we're not really a full-time follower of Christ. We know him and we know his word and we want to know him deeper, but we allow all this other stuff to push us and to pull us. The next thing you know, we're part-time follower of Jesus and a full-time whatever. And here's the kicker. The full-time stuff that we have replaced Jesus with is temporary. Mom and dad, you're not going to be a mom and dad for all eternity. Husband and wife, you're not going to be a husband and wife for all eternity. I'm not going to be a full-time pastor for all eternity. Praise the Lord. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Love what I do. No, seriously, seriously. That's all temporary stuff. But man, follower of Jesus, that's an eternal title. We will forever be his son or his daughter. We will forever worship him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we will gather around his throne and we will shout and we will sing. And the music's probably going to be too loud for some of you, but that's okay. You'll get by. It's going to be amazing because we're a full-time follower of Christ. And I think a lot of us would say, man, I I am a full-time follower of Christ. But here's the key. To follow Christ means we are like Christ. And I'm guaranteeing you, if you ignore his presence in your life, you hang around the wrong people, you're given a temptation, and you love this world more than you love God, you will stop being a full-time follower of Christ and start being a full-time something else. So how do we get back to where God is? Real quick, two things I want to give you guys as a response to this in the serious part of the message, if you will. How are you responding to this message right now? Because there's a couple ways you can respond. There's really only two, but we, there's some variations of those two. How are you responding to this message right now? And how you answer this question will determine how you get back to where God is, which is really right where you left him, which is right with you, behind you, next to you. All you got to do is turn to him and acknowledge that you've sinned. And he will, as the Bible says, as you draw nigh to him, he will draw nigh to you. So how are you responding to this message right now? If you're hearing this and you think, eh, this message isn't my favorite. This message doesn't really speak to me. Is he done yet? He's not done yet. 
man, I got places to go, things to do. I'm getting hungry. Or worse yet, if, if this is your response to the message today, I've heard this all before. Then there's two reasons you would have that response. One is maybe you don't know him as you think you do. Maybe you don't really know Christ as your Savior. Maybe you go to church and maybe you've done the religious thing, but you've never personally for yourself received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. You've never asked him to be your Savior. You've never confessed your sins and said, God, I need you. Would you forgive me of his sins? I believe you died on the cross for my sin, and I receive you as my Savior. Surrendering your life to him, saying, I am all of yours, and thank you for being all of mine. Maybe you've never done that, so your response to this message is, I don't really know what to do with this. And I would encourage you, the first thing you need to do is say, God, I need, to, I need to receive you as my Savior. But maybe you're here, and the reason you say these things is because you've just grown into a full-time something. And you've allowed the life that you live and the, the, the job that you work and the society you live in, the culture you live in, to push you and pull you, and now you're just kind of there. You know Christ, you love him, you have a desire and a hunger for the Word of God, but you've just allowed other things to cool your passions then I would encourage you to be cautious of your heart, to be guarded, because it is a terrifying place to be when we are cold to the words of God. See, you have to decide for yourself, where am I on that spectrum? Am I, do I know him and just allowing these things to pull me away and to, to control me, or do I not even know him? Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. Go over there real quick. Revelation 3.1. To me, one of the most sobering verses in the New Testament. Revelation 3, 1. Listen to what the Word of God says here. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. I don't know if there's a more sobering verse in the, Word of God, in the New Testament Man, you have a name as though you are alive, but I know you're really dead. This is Jesus speaking to this church. And what he's saying here, he's saying, listen, you have the reputation, you have the look, you have, you're faking it. You got everyone convinced. But Jesus has this way of knowing your heart. And he says, you can look the part, but I know your heart and you're really dead. So I need to ask you a question this morning. Are you alive today? Not do you look alive, do you sound alive, do you talk like you're alive, do you have all the catchphrases and all the Christianese sayings? Are you alive today? Not because of religious work, but because you put your faith and trust in Christ. Well, maybe you're here and you're on the other side of this coin. You're hearing these truths and you actually feel conviction. You actually feel a desire to get close to him again. You actually feel the spirit of God saying, I want you. I want you back. I want you back. You're ready to stop following bad advice. Start focusing back on the word of God. And let me tell you something, you're on the right track. And you're right where you need to be. I would encourage you to return to your first love. To return to your first love. You're in Revelation. Go over to chapter 2 and verse 4. Last two verses, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. Chapter 2 and verse 4. 
He says this to another church, the church of Ephesus. He says this, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou hast fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick and out of this place, except thou repent. You see what Jesus is saying here, the principle of this passage is saying, if you will return to your first love and repent of the fact that you left your first love, restoration is possible. So if you're here and you're responding with conviction, it's your choice to turn and submit to the person of Christ. Commit your life to him anew and cry out to him. Know that he loves you and his grace is for you. Confess what needs confessing and let him pull you back to himself as only he can. It is as simple as moving back to him, drawing near to him. Saying, God, I have drifted, and I'm sorry, and I'm sorry that I've allowed this passion or this person or this influence to pull me away. Starting right now, I'm going to walk back to you, which is really just turning back to him. It's not, you don't have to walk back to him. He's never left you if you know him as your Savior. It's just turning back to him, submitting to him and saying, I want you more than anything else. And watch him turn you back into a follower, a full-time follower of Christ. So a couple questions to close with before we pray. Kind of application questions. Which of the five pieces of bad advice can you identify with the easiest and why? Just think about that this morning as we pray. Which pieces of the five, or which five pieces of the bad advice that I gave you can you identify with the easiest? Which one is God speaking to you on that you know that's why you're drifting? And he's saying, and he's shouting, and he's screaming, just give that up. Just turn from those friends. Just resist temptation. Was there a time in your faith when you felt closer to God? What is different about your life now that wasn't then? But the most important question I can ask you is if you have drifted, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond to this message this morning? Because here's the thing. If you have drifted, it's very easy to just keep drifting. Just to keep going. Just to keep faking it until the consequences come due. Until all of a sudden things start that you planted start being harvested. And that bitterness that you're planting now will harvest those consequences later. That envy, that greed, that lust, that, that desire for yourself over God. Those things will produce something. You see, Jesus said that God is never mocked. That that which a man sows, he will also reap. And I think a lot of us plant a lot of harvests praying for no return. But here's the truth of it. If you've planted some things or you've harvested some things from the decisions you've made, you don't have to live with those things forever. You can confess, repent, acknowledge these are consequences of choices I've made. I need to deal with them. But his grace is there to pick you up. His love is there to encourage you. And he can walk with you in a new way. And even as you go through consequences of choices you made, he's there to help. He's there to strengthen. He's never left you or forsaken you. So maybe from the illustration earlier, maybe we need to scoot back over in the truck. Maybe we need to stop blaming God and decide we've drifted. We're going to scoot back over and watch him reunite that faith that we have. And so however God is speaking to you this morning, would you just respond to him as we have a time of invitation and response? Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I know that during the message today, I tried to use some sarcasm and tried to use some things to try to help us to realize the, 
foolishness of these things that we do. I pray, Lord, that you would take those truths of those things and apply them to our life, that we would realize how silly it is when we walk from you. How foolish when we love this world more than we love you. How obvious that if we give in to temptation constantly, never allowing you to give us the victory over those things, to realize you're better, that those momentary fulfillments of our desires are nothing compared to the fullest the fullest joy that you give us when you meet our needs, when you meet our true desires that we have, how you can lift us up and just the joy and the love and the peace that we have in Christ. Lord, why would we ever go back to that sin? Why would we ever go back to that temptation? But Lord, we are tempted to do so. And it is so hard to understand, not to understand why we're tempted, but to understand why we after tasting of your goodness, why we'd ever go back to the garbage of this world. The Bible says we're like a dog returning to our own vomit. Why would we ever do that? In the, in the face of your love and your grace and your joy, why would we not surrender everything that you ask us to just to draw close to you? It's just common sense. It just makes sense. But Lord, I know my heart. I'm tempted. I'm tempted to, to, to be a, a full-time pastor but a part-time follower. I'm tempted to just get my own self and my wants and desires in place of yours. I'm tempted to do what I want to do for me. And I pray that you would help us as a church to surrender those things and find victory in Christ and in Christ alone. Father, for those that have the wrong kind of friends, wrong influences in their life. I pray they'd make that decision to either sever the relationship because it's hurting their faith, it's hurting their Christian walk, it's hurting their, their walk with you. Maybe they need to distance that relationship, keep the relationship, but maybe put some space there so they can still love and encourage that person but not allow them to negatively influence them. Maybe we need to surround ourselves with some strong Christian friends who are going to push us to Christ, pray for us, Sharpen us as we sharpen them and watch you glorify your name through it. Lord, in all these things, we want your wisdom. May we return to our first love, fall on our face before you and just say, Lord, we're here and we're ready. Father, may you lead God and direct. And if anybody doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray that right now you convict them of their sin. Draw them to the foot of the cross. Show them your grace. They may know you as their Savior drawn closer to you. Father, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to have a short time of invitation. How are you responding to the message this morning? Have you drifted? Do you need to come and, and bend a knee and say, God, I'm, I'm coming back. I want to return to my first love. However God is speaking, would you respond to him this morning as we sing?